Hello, and welcome to CF Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez, and I want to thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and visit cfmiami.org connect to fill out a connection card. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, Pastor Mark Croston will continue in our single series called The Single Life. Let's listen in. When Naomi saw that Rachel was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God this morning. So now, Father, we pray in these moments as we gather together today that you would bless us afresh from the riches of your holy word. God, speak to us at the point of our greatest need and make us better for having come here today. We pray it in the awesome name of your Son, our Sovereign, and our Savior, even Jesus. And all who know him said, Amen. Amen. I'm excited about today. I'm excited that Pastor Rick asked me to uh, conclude this uh, series on uh, the single life uh, on today. And my task is to talk about single parenting. So we're going to talk about keys for successful single parenting. And, and I know when you start a message like this, you're supposed to come up with some high-powered story or illustration that really kind of rivets the crowd to help you drive the point home. And I tried to find one. I tried to search for some great story about single parenting, and, and I was just coming up empty. But interestingly, every time I tried to look, some there was a poem that kept coming up every time I tried to look, and I just took this as what God wanted us to begin with this morning. It's the poem that says, Don't Quit. It says, When things go on as they sometimes will, when the road you travel seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, when you want to smile but you have to sigh, when cares are pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but just don't quit. Would you touch the single near you and just tell them, don't quit, don't quit? So this morning, I want to tag team with Pastor Rick on his sermon last week. He talked about Ruth, a single looking for a mate, and I want to come back and talk about Naomi, a single caring for her children. And so as we approach this text, the first thing I see in the first verses is, is the reminder that you must make parenting a priority. Make parenting a priority. Look at the first verse uh, there. It says, during the time of the judges, when there was a famine in the land, a man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. Skip down to verse number five. 
both Malon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. And so what I see in these first opening verses of this particular passage is a man and his family who were in the place of God's appointment, but left the place of God's appointment because they ran into some hard times. And that's the way life is sometimes. Some people will go away from God in the midst of the difficulties that they face. And that's what we see here in the text. You say, well, how are, how are you getting that? Well, let's, let's unpack this just a little bit. It says, a man from Bethlehem with his wife and two sons. So, so this whole idea was that there was a famine in the land. It's like the stock market had gone down. Uh, businesses were closing in their community. They were having a hard time making a living. And so they left. They left the holy place. They had packed up everything in their big black Escalade with spinners. They blasted the music on their satellite radio. They programmed Moab into the GPS. They hit cruise control, waved goodbye to the home folks, and went ahead rolling. I would like to suggest that these first verses show us a family that is more focused on their finances than they are on their family. There was a man, Elimelech. Now, uh, we got all these hard-to-pronounce names, but there's a message in these hard-to-pronounce words in the Bible, all right? So don't ever skip over them. Just dig deeper. And so Elimelech means my God is king. And he is married to Naomi, whose name means my joy or my delight. And they have two sons, Malon, which means weakling, or Chile, and Chilion, which means perishing. So notice that the parents are strong people of faith, but the children are weak and perishing. And may I suggest that that happens in a lot of our family lives. That those of us who have gray hair in this crowd, or, or no hair for some of you, uh, it, it's probably the case that your life wasn't as easy when you were growing up as it is today. That a lot of times, you know, our parents were just putting things together. They're trying to make ends meet. And life was a little more difficult uh, for us back in those days. And, and they made us do all kinds of stuff. They made us work and clean and, and rake and cut and do all kinds of stuff. And, and so, uh, you know, sometimes we felt like uh, indentured servants in our house rather than just children. You know what I'm saying. And so, and so when we grew up, those of us who are 40, and over, uh, some of us have decided that we weren't going to uh, make our children do all the kinds of stuff that we had to do when we were growing up, and we tried to make it a little easier. We thought a little better for our children, and we want them to have a little better life, we say, than what we had, and we want life to be a little easier on them, so we didn't make them go through some of the hard times and difficult times that we went through with the idea that we wanted to make life better for them. But the problem is that the difficulties of life and the hard work that we have to go through is what helps build character and ethics in our lives. And so in the absence of that, it says that uh, uh, even though uh, Elimelech and Naomi were strong people of faith, their children ended up being Malon and Chilion, weak and perishing. Too often in life, we try to make life too easy for our kids, and we give them too many possessions and not enough power. 
Too much of the temporal and not enough of the eternal. Too much junk and not enough Jesus. And, they, and our kids end up like this, weak and perishing. Let me keep going down the text, and you'll see it. It says, they were Ephrathites. You know what that is, uh, because at Christmas time, you remember that verse in Micah 5, 2, which says, And thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come he who is from of old, a ruler in Israel, going forth uh, from old and everlasting. And so it's, it's one of those prophecies talking about Jesus. And so we know that Ephrathites come from Ephrathah. Ephrathah was like a pet name for Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem is in the area, the big area of Judah. Well, Ephrathah means the fruitful place. And Bethlehem is the house of bread. And Judah means praise. So let's see if we can uh, understand this again. So what we see is Elimelech, my God is king, and his wife, Naomi, my joy and my delight, had two sons, Malon, weakling, and Chilion, perishing, and they left Ephrathah, the fruitful place. They left Bethlehem, the house of bread. They left Judah, the place of praise, and they went to a place called Moab. Well, Moab is a compilation of two Hebrew words, one which means what or who, and the other which means father. And so Moab would mean what's your father, or if we put it in the vernacular, who's your daddy? <laughs> you know, anytime you go to a place named who's your daddy, uh, you know you've got some problems there. And so... And so we can see they, they left the place. What it's trying to tell us is that they left the place of God's appointment and God's power. And they went down to who's your daddy, where they don't know who's in charge or who their real father or leader is. And all kinds of things went wrong in their life when they left the holy place. They went down there thinking they were going to make it big, and uh, Elimelech died. Uh, the two boys married two Moabite women, uh, and uh, they married, uh, you know, just the first, uh, probably the first cuties they found. And uh, they said, well, these two look good. Let's marry them. One was named Orpah, which means stiff neck. <laughs> and the other was named Ruth, which means compassionate or friend. And just a reminder that whenever you marry somebody just based on the outward appearance, you don't know what you're really going to take home. Some of us have married stiff neck. Now, if you marry stiff neck, you keep your eyes looking straight up here. And so, uh, so now uh, we got these uh, four kids are, are in this group. And what I want to say about this is you only have a little bit of time to be a good parent. Hmm? That when, when you have children, you're taking on an obligation and a responsibility to grow them into great people and great uh, children of God. And the truth is, you don't have all of their life to do that. That really, even though you've got to feed them for 18 years, you do have to feed them. But the real, parenting, the, the real parenting really takes place in the first 6 to 12 years. Because all that they are and much of what they will be happens in those first formative years. And if you don't take some time to dedicate yourself to the task, to make sure you get those first years right, 
then when they get to t- between 12 and 18, you end up butting your head against the wall trying to fix some of the stuff that you didn't make right in the beginning. And so don't wait too late. This is a special time. You will have more time in your life after they get to age 12 for all the other stuff in life. But during those initial years in your life, dedicate yourself to the task of parenting so that God has something wonderful uh, to bless your life with in the future. So one, uh, second, you've got to provide the right things in the right season. Remember this, that your children are not off of a factory line. They are not all the same. Each child is custom made by our creator. Custom made. Yeah, when God made yours, when he made mine, he threw away the mold and made another one. And so here we got four kids in this whole text, weak, perishing, stiff neck, and friend. And so each one of them is absolutely different. There is no, there is no uh, one thing you can do for all your kids. Hmm? And you can't look at somebody else's kids and say, well, so-and-so did this, and it, but it's not working with mine. And that's because your kids are different than everybody else's. And if you have more than one kid, you already know that all your kids are different too. Let me show you my kids. So here's my family photo. So on the far left side is my oldest daughter, Candace. Now, each one of these are different. Uh, you know, uh, if you've ever looked at the five love languages and you applied it to your marriage, uh, that applies to your kids as well. So all of them, uh, they live in the same house, but they're all just as different as they can be. So Candace, her, her language would be gifts. There is no problem that a good gift can't solve. So... <laughs> So Antonio, Antonio next to her is my new wife's son. I'll talk about this blended family later, but this is my new wife's son, Antonio. And Antonio needs time. So Candace needs gifts. He needs time, personal one-on-one time. And then uh, my son, Mark Jr., uh, the husky fella uh, next to Brenda, uh, he, he's, a, he's communication. He needs words. Uh, he is a talker. And he needs to talk things through. And then the, the one on the far right is Juliet. Juliet is uh, the daughter of my uh, cousin, uh, my cousin who died, and she came to live with us. She's right between Candace and Andrew's age. And uh, so she lives with us like a daughter. And so, uh, so this is all the blended family of the Crossstons uh, along with Juliet. And uh, Juliet needs hugs. So every one of them is different. Now on Juliet's lap is London as Juliet's daughter. And for London, I have to reread uh, James Dobson's book on the strong-willed child. I got to reread that. But I'm just telling you, every single one of them is different. And I wish that there was one thing I could tell you that say, dude, you know, here is exactly what you need to do for every single child. But the truth is, you have to figure out your own stuff with your own children because every single one of them is a little bit different. And so you got to find what works. But thanks be to God, there is a rule book. There's not a 90-day money-back guarantee, so you can't take them back. But there is a manual that will help you to guide you in how to work these things, and that's called the Holy Bible. 
And so I just believe God and I take him at his word. He says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I believe God's word. So, uh, so uh, Ecclesiastes says that there's a different times in everybody's life for every kinds of things. And so if that be true, then there's a time to hold your kids and a time to release them. And so during those early years, it's time to hold them. Time to let them know that they're loved. Time to let them know that they're protected. Time to let them know that they can be confident and bold uh, because our goal is not to hold them. You don't want them 40 years old and haven't left the house. Our goal, uh, if you're 40 and haven't left the house, I, I'm not talking about you. Uh, so. <laughs> Our goal is to release them. Our goal is to shoot them off. Uh, Psalm uh, 127 and verse number four says that our kids are like arrows, huh? They're like arrows, the Bible, uh, Bible says. And so just understand, this is your child right here. That's what uh, Psalm 127.4 says. This is your baby. And, and it says we have some per things to do with each child. Now, a one who is a warrior with his arrows must keep the arrows sharp. And so if the arrow is going to do its job, it's got to have a good, sharp steel tip on it. And, and you got to keep them sharp. You got to keep them clean because they'll never be able to. They won't fly straight if they're not clean. And, 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 and you got to keep them ready. So it's not that I, I'm a, uh, my, my arrow's dirty and, and need some work on it. I can't fix them uh, two weeks from now. I got to clean them now because they got to stay ready for action. I've got to keep them available. That is to say that I, it's not good enough for me to know where they are. I have to be able to put my hands on them. I have to keep them with me uh, at all times, with me, and then ultimately I have to uh, keep them in a variety of experiences. So all kinds of things might be going on in and around my life, but I got to keep my arrows ready. So ready and with me at all times and available. So, if, so the, the, the archer wants to ultimately send them at the appointed time. So if I'm going to shoot a deer with my arrow, I can't shoot it before the deer shows up. I can't shoot it after the deer is gone. I have to shoot it when the deer is in the right place. You hear what I'm saying? I have to shoot it in a definite direction, and I have to shoot them toward a definite goal. So if we apply these ideas to our children, then that says that I have to keep them sharp through education. I have to keep them clean through an authentic spiritual salvation and relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to keep them ready through discipline. I have to keep them available through diligence. I have to keep them with him through constant fellowship and keep them in a variety of experiences so that at the appointed time, I can send them at the appointed time. That's graduation. Huh? I'm ready to send you now. Uh, I can send them in a definite direction. I want to send them towards success. And I need to send them toward a definite goal because the direction is not just success right now. The definite goal is heavenward. I want to get you to heaven when you die. And so our children uh, are like these arrows. Uh, our task is to get them ready, aim at the target, and at the right time, let them fly. See, I hit the target every time. 
course, you don't know where the target is. So, <laughs> and so that, that's what Ruth did in this passage. In, in verse number eight, Ruth said to Naomi, uh, each, uh, Naomi said to Ruth and to Orpah, each of you go back to your home. Uh, may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to me and the dead. So she is understanding it's time to release. In verse number 14, it says, and they wept loudly, and Orpah, stiff neck, old stiff neck, kissed her and said, if it's my time to leave, I'm out of here, deuces, and she was gone. And then in verse number 18, it says, and when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she just stopped talking. You hear what I'm saying? So sometimes, you know, when some of your kids get their minds made up, you, you just can't say anything else. You say, well, just go and do what you're going to do. And so, so the idea and, is that we want to get our kids ready to be released for God's service. Uh, point number three, you must bring your best self to the task. Your best self. In this culture and time, there was no life insurance, no investments, no Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, Obamacare, anybody's care. No pension, no annuities. There was no 401k, no 403b. There was no going back to school and starting your career over again. And so when, when Naomi lost her husband, you need to understand she lost everything. So now she is grieving the bereavement of her husband. She is suffering the passing of her sons. She is anguishing over the death of her dreams. She is brokenhearted over the demise of her hopes. She is disconsolate over the loss of her finances. It was as if their bank account is now empty. Their home is being foreclosed on. Their creditors are harassing them. Their so-called friends have refused them a handout. Their reputation is being ridiculed, and their lives are in utter ruin. Hear that now as, as uh, Naomi makes her comment in verse number 19 and 20. It says, the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. It and now they have been gone for years. And it said, the local women are looking her over and said, that looks like Naomi. Can this be Naomi? They text one another. I think I see Naomi coming in town. That's one of them took a picture and put it up on Instagram. Uh, could anybody identify this woman? I think it's Naomi. And Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, my joy and my delight. She said, that's not me anymore. She said, call me Mara. She answered for the almighty has made me, listen to this, very bitter. Very bitter. This is one thing I love about the Bible. That the Bible, when you read it with your eyes open, talks about life like it really is. It doesn't sugarcoat it. It just right up in your face tells you like it is. It, we weren't trying to say, well, you know, she was coming back into Bethlehem and she was waving her hands and giving God praise. Oh, what a wonderful Savior, stronger than anybody. What a wonderful name it is. He, oh, she wasn't singing that. Not that day. That day, she owned her feelings. And she said, the Lord has made me bitter. I went out of here full, but the Lord bought me back empty. And, and the truth is that all of us come to life circumstances. And life circumstances sometimes leave us messed up. The truth is that Naomi isn't the only one that's bitter. 
that some of us too are bitter. And sometimes the reason you can't get along with folk is because you're still bitter over stuff from the past. Sometimes the reason you haven't found a mate is because you're still bitter over stuff in the past. Naomi said, I'm just bitter. All of us who have been single parents or are single parents have come that way by some circumstance that could have left us bitter. Maybe you were single parent by accident, an out-of-wedlock birth. Maybe, maybe you're a single parent by adoption. You wanted to have your own child. You prayed to God to have your own child, but it couldn't, and so you decided to adopt. Maybe you're a single parent because you got divorced. Or maybe you're a single parent because you were just totally deserted. Or maybe you're a single parent because of the death of a spouse. That's the category I fell in. My first wife had breast cancer. She had three rounds, three battles with it, and she died on the third battle. Now, it was right at the time of life where all of our hopes were rising. You know, when, when, you're, when you first get married and you're young, you got a lot of love, but you don't have no money. So now we're at the point of, we're just about at the empty nest stage. Uh, One child is in college, the other's in 11th grade, and it's like we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so everything's going to change once we get this last one out of the house. So some people have dreaded the empty nest syndrome, but if you stay in love, you look to the empty nest syndrome with delight. Oh, good, they're going to be out of the house. And and so we're looking forward to this time. We're talking about traveling, doing all this other kind of stuff. And, uh, and, And then our hopes are dashed as she dies. It could have been one of those moments where I could have just been bitter. You go, Lord, I'm trying to be your man. I'm trying to do what you want me to do. I'm trying to be faithful. And, and this is how you treat me. I could have been like Naomi, bitter. But the truth is, at these moments in your life, you've got to allow the word of God to really become real in your life. You've got to allow, own your feelings. She owned it, right? And you can't, ever, you can't move past it until you own it. And so at least in this text, Naomi owns where she is. And she says, I am very bitter. Some of you don't even know what's wrong with you. But it's your, friend, your friend needs to tell you, you're just bitter. She owned it. And you got to own it. But once you own it, then you can ask God to help you with it. David writes to God in one of these times where his relationship with God has been severed in Psalm 51 and says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God can remove the bitterness. God can remove the hurt. God can remove the tears. God can help you through the bitter and difficult and trying times of life. He can bring joy to your life. So that one day, even after the bitter time, you'll be able to wake up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. 
So some right now are drowning in an ocean of tears. Some in the sound of my voice might be swept away in a river of sorrows. Maybe you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or thirsting in a desert of despair. But I want you to know if you will take your problems, take your cares, and take them to Jesus. The Bible says casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God can take the bitterness away. You see, the problem is if you're going to be a successful parent, you just can't be wrapped up in your own stuff. Because the stuff that happens doesn't just affect you. The death of my wife was not just my crisis, it was my family's crisis. When you get divorced, it's not just your crisis, it's your family's crisis. If you've been deserted or whatever it is, it's not just about you. Your whole family goes through this crisis with you. And so I couldn't be so stuck in my own crisis that I, was, I, was, I had to stop being a dad to my kids. I couldn't do that because my kids were going through the, a, their own crisis. So my son, uh, Mark, uh, if I call him Andrew, that's just what we call him at home. And so, uh, so uh, he hadn't expressed any real emotion since his mother died. Uh, he just kind of took it like a man. And so uh, I was a little concerned about that. And uh, we were just, we were home about two months after his mother died and uh, just in the middle of a conversation about something totally unrelated. And all of a sudden it all came down on him and the floodgates finally opened and he was finally able to express his grief. And at that moment he needed his dad nearby to give him a little confidence and reassurance. And when we came up to the first Mother's Day uh, uh, as a pastor, Mother's Day is a big work day for a pastor. Uh, Mother's Day, Christmas, and Easter, no pastor ever misses those. Those are the biggest work days of the year. And so, so but, but I knew that, that when uh, Mother's Day was coming, my daughter Candace, who was living in Baltimore at the time, would need some support. And so I took off Mother's Day. And Andrew and I rode up and spent the weekend with Candace on Mother's Day weekend that year. Why? Because sometimes you need to recognize no matter how important your job is, no matter how important the task is that you're working on your job at sometimes, there's sometimes when your family has to take priority over your work. There's some things that are going to happen in the life of your family that cannot be delayed, that cannot be delegated to somebody else, that they cannot be denied, and you must be there for your family in those critical times in their life if you're going to be a parent. And so this was one of those times when I could not delay or put it off or designate it for somebody else. I had to be there because my daughter needed to know that even though she had lost her mother, that her daddy was going to be with her so uh, and then but but ultimately you got to get past that stuff so you can just enjoy your life I mean God gave you a life and I hope you still have some years to live touch your neighbor say I hope you got some years to live huh and so who wants to live those years miserable nobody wants to sign up for 20 years of misery huh 
We, I, I mean, I want every day to be beautiful, and so, so how, I want to enjoy life. And so what I did after I became suddenly single is I applied Pastor Rick's strategies for singles, follow God, fight for love, and focused on alignment. I did that. And so, uh, so it's interesting because each year uh, at, at uh, Valentine's Day, Sunday before Valentine, I'd always preach some message on love. And uh, so I told the church in advance, I said, for Valentine, Valentine's Day sermon this year, I'm going to preach love lessons from the pastor's love life. So they knew that the suddenly single pastor is now preaching about his love life. I knew I'd get a big crowd on that Sunday. Uh, yeah. And I knew some hopefuls would be out there. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, Pastor Rick said, if you want to find somebody, come to church. So, <laughs> so, uh, so as I'm talking now, my mother is there. And remember, my mother, my dad died when I was uh, six years old. And so now it's been about 40 or plus years. And my mom is sitting out there. And my mom, when my dad died, she was in her early 40s. I mean, so that meant she, she was still marketable. She still had it going on. You know what I'm talking about. And so she didn't have to stay single. She chose to stay single. Of course, having nine kids around didn't uh, help that part thing. And, you know, somebody say, I want to take you out on a date. She might have to say, how big a car you got? So... You know, anyway, so. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I told the church, you know, since the time my dad died, I don't know that my mother had a single date. I don't know if she ever went out on a date with anybody else. She lived a godly, holy life. And, and she kept herself all those years by the grace of God. In holiness. So I'm talking to, I'm saying this to my congregation. And I'm saying, but I don't have her gifts. Huh? I listen to Pastor Rick's sermon. He said it's a gift. So, I said, I don't have her gifts. I said, so there will be a Sister Crosston sometime soon. Another Sister Cross. So, you know, you know the whole idea is that uh, the, the marriage vow ends at death. Huh? So don't let people get in your business and make you struggle with the idea that you got to be married to your dead spouse or your ex-spouse forever. The marriage vow ends at death. And so after death, you know, that means that I'm now free to look for a new partner. I'd have to wait 10 years, five years, three years. Uh, if I can find one in six months, I'm ready. <laughs> so... So uh, anyway, this is a long, that's on the long story about the national search. Uh, but what I want to say is you got to live your life. And uh, so finally, let me just say, the greatest thing you have to do is to lead your children to faith. Lead your children to faith in God. So my daddy died, and my mother then as a single mother had to raise myself and my siblings. And when I think about my spiritual development, I can only think about my mother. 
Because it was my mother that taught me the scriptures and, and much of the scripture that I memorized today, I memorized sitting around my mother's breakfast and dinner table. And, and when I think about prayer, the reason I kneel in prayer is because I saw my mother do it in her bedroom and sometimes in the living room so often. And the reason that I fast is not because I never heard anybody talk about fasting at church or never heard a sermon on fasting, but I knew that my mother occasionally would turn her plate down to fast and pray. And the reason that uh, I tithe, even that I tithe today, is because when my mama gave me a nickel, she told me I had to put a, a penny in the offering plate. And I was a 20 percenter. I didn't even know it. When I got a dime, I had to put in two cents. When my allowance went up to a quarter, I had to put in a nickel. When it went to a dollar, I had to put in a quarter. And when I got my first job working for one of the neighbors, I would cut her grass. She would pay me with a Coca-Cola and with a $20. I didn't know how to tie the Coca-Cola, but I knew what to do with the $20. I learned tithing from my mother. And I learned that God is worthy regardless of your circumstance. Regardless of your difficulties, I know that God is worthy to be praised. So in verse number 22, in verse number one, we see that uh, Naomi leaves the holy place in order to go down to who's your daddy. But when we get down to verse number 22, Naomi recognizes that she cannot find what she needs for herself or her family in who's your daddy. And so she goes back to Bethlehem. She goes back to the fruitful place, back to the house of bread, back to the place of praise. Don't ever run away from God in your times of difficulty. He is a very present help in our time of trouble. That's our time to run toward him because whatever's going on in your life, whatever your struggle is, this is one thing I want you to know, that faith still works. Faith in God still works. Father, thank you. Thank you for the blessings of the day. Thank you for the message from your word. Thank you for the challenge in our heart. God, right now, some of us are thinking about our own lives and our own families. We've been hanging around in Moab too long. And if we want to get our lives on track and we want to get our families' lives on track, we need to get back to the house of prayer, back to the place of praise, and back to the fruitful place. God, help us to make decisions today. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, I just want you to know that God knows where you are. God knows what you're going through. God knows the pains that you have felt and maybe the ones that you're feeling even now. And God loves you. And he wants to love you through all that. The Bible says that he loves you so much. He came through 42 generations to be born in a manger. To walk the dusty streets of Palestine. And ultimately to die on Calvary's cross. So that we might have eternal life. 
Eternal life is not life that begins once we die. Eternal life is life that begins once we have a personal, living, vital relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that God can turn your circumstances around. If you'll get back to the fruitful place, if you'll come back to the house of bread, and if you allow him to keep you in the place of praise. So there's some here today that need to make a faith decision for Jesus Christ. And you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and into your life before. And you recognize if you're going to get your family and your kids on track, that's what you absolutely need to do. And so I'm going to ask you to do that today. And there's some here today that have recognized that there's some areas in each of our lives that we just need to turn back over to God. God, I've been living in Moab too long. I want to recommit my life. I want to recommit my family to you. You see, you will never be able to lead your family to a place you are unwilling to go. If you're going to lead your family, my friend, You have to be the first one to make the decision and the first one to begin the journey to go. And so in just a few moments, we're going to count to three. And as we count to three, as we get to three, all I want you to do is raise your hand up in the air. We have some people in the aisle who want to give you a little card. We just want to give you a connection card so that we can have a record of the decision that you're making here today. And so that we can encourage you and pray for you and help you to, to be the person that God really wants you to be. All right. And I know there's some people right now. You're thinking about your family. You're thinking about the family you came from and you're thinking about the family that you're growing right now or your future family. Make the decision today. Don't put it off. Make it today, friend. And we're going to count to three. And I want you to raise your hand up in the air. If you sense the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, what that little thing that's inside is the Spirit of God speaking to you right now. I just want you to raise your hand and say, yes, I need to make one of those kind of decisions for Jesus Christ today. All right, let's count together, friends. One two, three. Come on, raise those hands up in the air. Raise those hands up. I see those hands over there. I see them over there. I see them back there. Come on, raise them up high. Raise them up high. God is working. God is moving. God wants to do something fabulous in your life. God is working in this place. He is sovereign. He is God. He is a healer. He is a sustainer. He is God above all. He is Lord of all. And I love God. And I love you, Christ Fellowship. It's always a treat hearing from Pastor Mark Croston. If you made a decision to follow after Christ or to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know by visiting cfmiami.org connect. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.